0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Thinking Theologically, the show where we teach you how and why you should think theologically. I'm one of your hosts, Jack Dodgen, joined uh, by our, uh, I I can't remember now, still in training, still? Resident (laughs) theologian
1: in training.
0: Still. I think is what you normally call me. Spencer Shaw. (laughs) Something like that. Uh, Yeah, sorry about that. Still still working on it. Still you're about to start working on it harder, right? Summer's almost over.
1: Well, I'm Back in a school six week class right now. So I'm I'm about to actually have my like three weeks of summer. Maybe an entire month between oh, this class okay. and the next semester. But I've been in class I mean, I never stopped. So Well okay. I'm looking forward to a little bit little bit of a break, but I'm kind of Four winding of down my master's degree. So it, we're kind of through a lot of the um
0: How, uh, how close
1: are you to being done? Let's see. It's uh, spring. Is that the wrong question? Spring 2023 <laughs> spring? is when I graduate. Okay. My entire last year is my thesis. So I only have a year left of classes. So I'm almost gotcha. done with the classes and so now you're getting to some I've still got some language stuff I'm taking Hebrew the next two semesters but also some of my classes are like field work stuff which I'm kind of already doing so it's doing some reading and some stuff about the work I already do stuff like that to kinda finish up some of the ministries portion of my class work so we're well okay we're almost there. We're starting to starting to wind down a little bit at least. Th-
0: then I'll remove the still. Then I'll remove the still. Well, then I'll you've be got doing PhD work.
1: So, I mean, do you know, I have to get my doctorate before <laughs> I stop being in training? I don't know how that um, works. I'm going to have to talk to someone higher up than me to figure out.
0: No, here's the... You are. Um, no, uh, you, we're always still in training. That's the... We're, that's that's the point, right? I'm I'll also ask a, still in training. I'll ask a real <laughs> <That's> what, <laughs> theologian. I'll uh. Oh, okay. I'll tweet NT Wright or something out.
1: like that and ask him. When do I get to drop the in training tag?
0: Is NT Wright on Twitter? He's
1: not, but somebody is for him.
0: Okay, <laughs> fair enough. His his handler, his agent. <laughs> so,
1: so I I uh, yeah, no, he he he's on everything, but. I've heard him say he doesn't actually manage any of that.
0: Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. All right, well, last episode, uh, we talked about atonement theories and said that that was going to be kind of our uh, foundation for a series of uh, an indeterminate amount of videos, podcasts. (laughs) <laughs> we, we don't know how many episodes we're going to do, but uh, we have another one today, and uh, we're just going to keep trucking along with that, uh, with some various things interspersed probably as we continue to talk about this subject. Uh, today, our question kind of, and you'll understand what that means in a moment, so is Jesus' incarnation necessary? And we'll get into that in just a moment, uh, but if you have any subjects or comments, criticisms, Questions, you can send those over to us at strongchurchministries at gmail.com or get a hold of us on Facebook individually. And of course, you can message Spencer on Twitter. Yeah, Though he may follow, miss it because he's follow, tweeting at NT right. Follow me on <laughs> yeah, follow Twitter. Spencer. Had a great
1: conversation. Uh, it was a p- part of a very interesting thread yesterday about uh, the relationship between preaching and shepherding and that needs to look in a congregation on twitter so yeah yeah
0: that doesn't seem like the place to have long form conversation so, about stuff like so that
1: it was uh
0: interesting did you I, make I, fun of anybody
1: i just no i i was just a, uh, there was a lady who had asked a, there was a girl who asked a question in this regard okay. and a friend of mine kind of responded and then uh responded again and uh tagged me in it and was like hey you know what are your thoughts on this so i i kind of threw in my two cents and it was just a interesting interesting thread so
0: there you go all right follow spencer at least go check that out and uh see what all went down there okay uh we are kind of but not really Yes and no, talking about, was Jesus' incarnation necessary? Uh, Spencer, why Why is this question that we chose ourselves, why is this a bad question?
1: Yeah, so first off, the thing that I love about this topic in general that we're talking about today is we've gotten far enough along uh, in the podcast, done enough episodes, that you're going to see a lot of connection between stuff we've talked about before which to me is really exciting starting to piece this all of these things together um and that that's that's kind of the where I'll begin in answering a question of was Jesus incarnation necessary and the answer is yes and no so kind of <laughs> it was it, it was kind of necessary okay. and the reason that I answer it that way is first because it's difficult to say that something is necessary for God. It's, it's difficult to say that God has to do something outside of what is characteristic of God's nature or of God's essence. And you may remember, we talked about that when we talked about the relationship of grace, faith, and works a while back, how the reason grace has to come first is that if anything else comes first, if faith comes first, if works come first, if anything comes first, then all of a sudden we're forcing God to do something. We're making God do something, give us grace sure. in that case, which leads to all kind of problems. Because if we or anything or anybody else can make God do something, then God's no longer God. God is under the control of that other thing, that other being, that other person. And so that other thing is now God and God's no longer God. So you get into a problem anytime you want to say that God has to do something or that God's forced to do something outside of what's at the core of God's essence and God's nature. And we're going to actually talk uh, in an episode that is yet to come. I don't know exactly when it's going to come, but it will. We'll talk more about how God's essence, God's nature works. But we think about things like John tells us that God is love. So God always has to love. God can't ever do something that is not loving because love is who God is. But outside of who God is, as a God of love, a God of justice, a God of holiness, those kinds of things, outside of those things that are at the center of God's essence and God's nature, you have a real problem saying that anything is necessary for God, that God has to do something. And so that kind of brings us back to a question, was Jesus' incarnation necessary? Uh, Another way to put that may be, could God have saved humanity another way? That's what we're asking by necessary. Could, Could God have done things another way? And I think that because we don't want to say that God has to do something, that we have to at least hold open the possibility that there was another way for God to do things. Sure. Um, and at the, the very least, at least in my mind, at the very least, the way this would have to work is that if we were to say that God couldn't save humanity any other way than through the incarnation, death, and resurrection of the divine son, uh, then we have to at least be willing to say that it was possible for God to have created a different kind of universe where it wasn't necessary. Uh, for Jesus to become incarnate and to die and to raise. In in other words, potentially, you could say, and, and I, I'm i going to mention in a minute why its that's even difficult to say, but potentially you could say something like, in the world that we live in, yes, it was necessary. That was the only way for God to do it. But God, as sovereign creator, could have created any kind of universe. And so potentially God could have created a universe where it wasn't necessary. He could have done it another way. We talk about that when we talk about free will at times. We say God created a universe where human beings have free will, but he didn't have to, right? God could have created a universe where we didn't have free will. We were just robots working around. So at minimum, we have to be able to say that, I think, about the incarnation, that it's, if it is necessary in the universe that we live in, we at least have to realize the possibility that God could have decided to create a universe that worked different. However, I think that asking and debating the question of the Incarnation's necessity is actually to ask the wrong question. Uh, And the reason is because we're not asking the question before the event has taken place, as if we were sitting around pondering whether or not God should become incarnate or if there is another or even a better alternative. So in asking that question, it's not like we're sitting back before God's created everything, or maybe Adam and Eve have sinned, they've been kicked out of the garden, and it's like we're sitting back with God, like, okay, how are we going to solve this, God? Like, what's the, what are our options? Uh, yeah, incarnation, death, resurrection of, of the son. Is there another way? Is there a better way? That's not what we're doing in asking this question. God's already done it. He's already made the choice to save humanity through the incarnation, death, and resurrection of his son. And so because we're already asking the question after God has done it, after God has decided uh, to act and to save humanity in this way, really asking the question of is it necessary is irrelevant because it's already happened. And you add to that as people trying to think theologically. You go back all the way to our first episode. At the center of theology, theology begins with Jesus. That, that's where we start. And to right. ask the question, was Jesus' incarnation necessary is to start somewhere else? Is to try to look from the incarnation as if it hadn't happened, but it has. That's how we most fully know God is through Jesus. And so that's where we have to start. And so I think it's a bad question to ask, was it necessary, because it's already happened. And the Incarnation ought to be our starting point in saying anything about God, anything about salvation, anything theological as a whole. And so I think a better question may be asked to ask something like, what is the significance of Jesus' Incarnation? Not was it necessary, but saying, yeah, it's already happened, and we're going to start with that and say, okay, why was this significant? What did the Incarnation do? Uh, or even asking the question why did God become incarnate? What, what was God trying to accomplish by becoming a human being? And we can even ask a question about necessity, but when we do it needs to be something like why is Jesus humanity necessary for Christian theology? So Christian theology is built upon Jesus being fully God and fully human, because it's already happened. And so if we ask a question about necessity, we can do it by saying, well, in light of it already happening, in light of us trying to develop a Christian theology with Jesus at the center, what is the necessity of Jesus being fully human to the rest of our theology? In other words, if you take out Jesus' humanity, our theology begins to fall apart because it's built upon what God has already done. And, and I hope that that makes sense of we're starting with what God has already done instead of trying to start somewhere else. And so when you start there, yeah, you can ask a question about necessity, but it's more in building our theology from that point rather than trying to get behind it and say, well, could God have done something different? That It doesn't matter. He didn't. This is the world we live in. This is what God has already done. So let's start there And try to figure out the implications of what God has done, of the necessity of what God has done to Christian theology that's built upon what he's already done. And so, asking a question of the significance of what God was accomplishing, of the necessity of Jesus' humanity for a Christian theology, is probably a better question than trying to figure out could God have done it another way? Because this way he's already chosen and already acted, since the foundation of the world. I mean, Paul talks about that in Ephesians 1, for example.
0: Right. Uh, before we get into the significance of which we have uh, five points to make here uh, for the rest of the the show, I want to uh, encourage you, if you have not already, you can even just pause this episode and go back to the last one where we talked about uh, atonement theories. Was it was it seven? Did we look at seven in that episode?
1: Um, I've actually got it's the outline. Five or six. Seven. <laughs> six. Oh, it was six. It was of six. Of course. <laughs> uh,
0: all right. Uh, we looked at six. Uh, this part of why I preach is because of numbers. I don't have to worry about numbers. Uh, we looked at six different atonement theories and which one we thought was the most fitting uh, of those. Uh the answer may surprise you, I guess I don't know. We'll probably come back to it a little bit today. uh, we definitely will deal with some of these atonement theories though, in talking about the significance of uh the significance of uh Jesus's incarnation and all of that. So go back and listen to that if you have not already uh and then from here, we'll hop right into the five reasons that Jesus's incarnation is significant uh number one if you're ready for this, Spencer, it was humanity that God desired to save. Walk us through that point, uh, if you will.
1: So if you go back and read through Christian history, early on Christians had to wrestle with how do we talk about Jesus being both fully God and fully human? How does how does that work and how do we explain that to others which is really how a lot of these conversations came up in the early church was that the church was believing these confessing these singing about these things in church but then you have to at some point be able to explain them to other people you know how can you say that sure. someone was both fully god and fully human and so as early christians began to wrestle with these questions the the answer that you see very very early on about why jesus needed to be fully human and how our christian theology falls apart if jesus wasn't fully human is because god desired to save human beings and that it it takes a it takes god becoming human to save humanity god had to become like us in order to save us that that's the first answer that you get to this kinds of question is because God wanted to save human beings. and So he had to become a human being in order to save human beings. Sure. And at least in my mind, this makes the most sense to me when I think of it in terms of some of those atonement theories that we talked about last week. So I think yes. of the ransom theory, you know, it, it a human life for a human life, Jesus, human life for our human life. That That was the ransom, life for a life. It's, I think of uh, Indiana Jones Raiders of the Lost Ark. If you've seen it, at the very beginning, yeah. he's trying to balance out the the idol with the correct weight and, in order to steal it, and it doesn't work. And you know he runs out of the building, chased by the the big stone uh, yeah. ball and ball and all that. Yeah. But it, you you you've got to get it right. The same weight for the same weight. The the life for a life. Um, We talked about recapitulation theory, which is that Jesus succeeded where Adam failed. So Jesus was the perfect human. He succeeded where humanity has failed. Well, in order to do that, you have to be a human being, right, to succeed where human beings have failed. It takes a human being to do that. Satisfaction theory, satisfying God's wrath, God's justice, which is against the sinfulness of human beings, right? So to satisfy God's wrath against humans— takes a human being to do that. And the same thing with, we talked about penal substitution, Jesus taking our penalty, being our substitute. Well, to be a substitute for human beings, it makes sense that it needs to be a human being. And so that was kind of the earliest um, answer that was given is that, well, God desired to save human beings. And so in order to do that, he
0: had to become a human being makes sense yeah and if, if it were if it were some other thing he was trying to save then he would have come to them as or come as that thing now uh, if we discover
1: intelligent life on other planets in the coming years <laughs> yeah. we're going to have to redo this episode uh, hey, because listen, that point UFO talk man that point falls apart <laughs> um, so uh, but as of right now i'm
0: I'm holding true to point number one We'll uh, we'll do a Redux if the if the uh, UFO thing appears to be anything weird, we'll follow that for you. If you have any suggestions about that, make sure you send them to Spencer at Twitter in uh, his DMs. Let's talk about UFOs and stuff. Uh, number two, uh, the second significance here is uh, that uh, his incarnation uh, was to grant humanity eternal life.
1: So, again, historically, it's been believed by Christians for pretty much all time that uh, uh, only God is truly eternal. Uh, Even, you know, we have the hope of eternal life, but even we that achieve eternal life aren't truly eternal. God was here before the creation of anything. Uh, uh, The scripture talks about God being the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and then first, last, you know that that's God's the only thing that's truly eternal. He He was here before anything else. Everything else that exists other than God was created by God. It's so only God is truly eternal, and God desires for human beings to live eternally with Him. If you remember a few episodes back, we asked the question: Were Adam and Eve created, or were, were, were human beings created eternal? And the way we answered that was no. But that was God's desire. He desired for right. human beings to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the entire earth, to subdue it, ultimately to, it seems, to eat of the tree of life, to live eternally, and to become like God in that way, in that they were eternal. And we connected that to the idea of perfection and salvation for the Christian, and that's one way to think about salvation is becoming like God and... That's what actually got Adam and Eve into trouble. They wanted to become like God. That was the temptation, but not in the they wanted to do it on their own terms, not in the way that God desired them to become like him. Um, and so through sin, going back to that episode, they Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden and gave up the privilege of becoming eternal like God and eating of the tree of life. So now, That creates that gap between humanity and God. God is eternal. Humanity is not because of sin. We die. But God wants us to live eternally with him. And so how do you solve that problem? How how do you bridge that gap? Well, it, it makes sense. It takes God, the only one who's truly eternal, becoming a human being, we who gave up our eternal life with God, to provide humanity with something that only is available to God, providing us with eternal life. And that connects very well to the recapitulation theory that we talked about. Jesus being the perfect human being, Jesus succeeding yeah. where Adam failed. Adam was intended to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, eat of the tree, live eternally with God. He failed. Jesus came and succeeded in the very place where Adam failed and so through that bridges that gap of eternal life that life that because of sin we have given up that life that god has is bridged by a f- man who is fully god and fully human you've get both of those pieces brought together in jesus and which is what is able to bridge that gap of eternal life and to provide us those who have faith in Jesus, provide us that eternal life that God always intended for human beings to share with him.
0: Uh, Alongside uh, this eternality idea that we've just discussed here in number two, uh, we kind of flow into, I I think this is why I messed up the atonement theory thing, because we had six, but we kind of only had five because two of them went together. I remember that. Anyway, alongside number two here, Uh, with eternality, Uh, his incarnation was significant because it provides uh, for the resurrection of our bodies. Uh, Spencer, what do you want to get to in that? There's a lot (laughs) that we could... uh, Where do you want to go there?
1: So I'll I'll try to keep this brief because I could... At some point, we're going to do a series of podcasts on the makeup of the human being... Resurrection, all that kind of stuff. I've got all that in my pocket because I've done that several times because I think that's actually one of the most essential things for us to understand to correctly interpret what Scripture has to say about resurrection and salvation and stuff like that. But that's for, that's for another day. What, what I'll say here is just Jesus tells us that God is spirit. Remember, he says, God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth god yep. is spirit and so a spirit like god can save a spirit and so if all god desired to save of the human being was some spiritual part of us our soul maybe we would want to say uh, something other than the body if that's what all if that's all god wanted to save then he didn't need to become a human being he didn't need to take on a body he didn't need to suffer and die on a cross he didn't need to be physically raised from the grave, that would have been unnecessary. A spirit can save a spirit. Um, however, to save a human being, he had to become a human being, and that connects back to both number two and number one, right? Because yeah, uh, and he desires to save the whole human being. Uh, scripture, and we've talked about this a bit here and there, uh, views the human being holistically. The human being is made up of equally of the body, of the mind and of the spirit, or of the soul. And you don't have a human being without all three of those parts. And I love that because it's connected to God himself. You don't have God without Father, Son, and Spirit. God is three and one. Human beings are the same makeup. You don't have a human being without body, mind, and spirit. Scripture views us holistically. And what we see in Scripture is God desires to save the whole human being. Not just a part of the human being, but the entire human being, body, mind, and spirit. And with that, it includes the body. That's why we are promised the resurrection of our bodies, because of God's desire to save the entire human being. And so, as I said a moment ago, in order for God to save our bodies, he had to take on a body. In order to save us from the bodily consequences of sin, that being death, then Jesus needed to take on a body experience death, but then conquer death through the resurrection to give us that hope of resurrection life. Paul talks Hmm. about how Jesus' resurrection is the first fruit of our own resurrection, that our hope is to be resurrected just like Jesus. And for our bodies to be resurrected, to conquer the bodily death consequence of sin, Jesus had to become like us, become a human being, take on a body, die, and be raised, and he had to do that as a fully human being, and that uh, that's important too. The incarnation is that Jesus was fully human. If he didn't really have a body, which some people have claimed it just looked like he did, if he didn't right. really die, like if, if, if on the cross, if you can separate um, Jesus' spiritual part from his actual body, which some people have tried to do, well, he— Yeah, his body died, but he didn't really suffer. If you do any of that, then salvation, resurrection, it all falls apart. uh, Because Jesus had to fully take on death to fully conquer and defeat death. And that only happens through a body. And that's something else that we'll talk about uh, Jesus being abandoned by God on the cross in some episode where we'll get into that aspect of, Jesus fully God, fully human, being on the cross, how did that work itself out? But Jesus, God had to fully take that on in order to provide us the resurrection. And that's that Christus Victor idea, which we mentioned last week, I think, is the best atonement theory that we can then place all the other ones under that umbrella of Jesus conquering the powers of sin and death. And so... He did that in his body to conquer death, so that our bodies have the hope of resurrection.
0: Okay, all right, and uh, I assume these will just keep uh, keep building on one another. Here, uh, we you, you alluded to it several times in there, which some have tried to say uh, that Jesus did not come in the body, or he had a body that he inhabited as a spirit, but was in and out of it at various points in time and stuff. That's all for another episode or two even Uh, because that was a lot of, there was a lot of that being combated uh, by John and some others uh, in the New Testament. So that'll be fun to talk about then when we get into all this resurrection stuff. If you want us to get into that sooner rather than later, let us know. Uh, We'd be happy to jump into that. You can send that one to me on Facebook, not the alien stuff though. Uh, Number four uh, is uh, Jesus's incarnation is significant because he was to be a mediator, is to be a mediator uh, between God and humanity. Spencer, uh, why don't you talk to us about that one?
1: Well, and this is kind of connected to, again, everything else that we've said. Uh, It it makes sense. Only one who is both fully God and fully human can rightly stand between God and humanity to bring humanity back into full relationship with God. And so it's kind of like that gap of eternal life. You have this gap of relationship between yeah. human beings and God, and who better to mediate that relationship than one who is both fully God and fully human. But also, the the Hebrew author talks about Jesus' ability to empathize with us because he was fully human, that Jesus suffered Like we suffered, he was tempted like we are tempted. So not only can he empathize and understand our struggles and temptations as human beings, but because he can empathize and understand, he can help us and aid us in our struggles and in our temptations, which is another important thing of Jesus being fully human. So it's not just that, like we we said that Jesus was just partly human, but all of these things fall apart if he wasn't fully human. If, and if Jesus was fully human, then he was tempted in every way that, that we are. It's hard for us to imagine Jesus being tempted by certain things. Jesus having sexual temptations, for example. But if, if we say that Jesus wasn't tempted in certain ways, then Jesus wasn't fully human. And if Jesus wasn't fully human, points one through three fall apart. Christianity falls apart. Salvation falls apart it all falls apart. But if we accept that Jesus was fully human and therefore is able to save us as human beings, we have to also say, well, he was tempted just like every other human being is in all of these ways. Otherwise, everything falls apart. And so, again, I can't emphasize enough. It's not just that Jesus became a human being, but he fully became a human being. He fully experienced life as a human being, both in suffering and temptation and also in death. If it wasn't fully, he didn't do anything. We don't have salvation. We don't have anything.
0: Yeah, and uh, these ideas are... uh, Hebrews deals with this uh, very much so, both about... Uh, what Jesus experienced as a human uh, and also how that ties into relationship with us, Jesus as brother, and that sort of uh, idea, which is very cool. But then you also see it throughout the Gospels of what Jesus is experiencing, real human emotions and uh, actions uh, of being tired and exhausted and other things like that. So uh, very good very necessary point that we see throughout and maybe don't think about as much, uh, the relational aspect to that humanity that puts him in perfect position to be mediator between the two because he's fully both uh, God and human there. All right, our uh, our final one here uh, is that his incarnation was significant because it gives us an image uh, to imitate. Spencer, go ahead and explain it. there There's a lot we could say here. <laughs> our... It
1: the the goal i think of christian life is to imitate the life of jesus i mean that that's our that's what we're pursuing after wanting to to be and to live and to think like jesus and that's only possible again if jesus was fully human and we we talked about this last week in the moral influence theory which is that what it says is that jesus came as a moral influence as this image to follow but if if Jesus wasn't fully human, if he was just partially human, kind of looked human, then uh, Jesus can live in a way and say, "Well, yeah, you, you can't really do that." J- Jesus can pull the God card and say, "Yeah, I was able to overcome this because I'm God and you're not." Right. But if Jesus was fully human, then he he couldn't just pull the 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 God card. And so he's actually an image for us to, to emulate and to, to follow. Because again, if Jesus can just kind of pull that that God card and say, well, yeah, I can overcome this, but but you can't. Well, then what's the point of trying to be like Jesus if it's impossible? Right. Right. And it's it is possible. I think I would want to caveat that and say it's only possible with God and the power that God provides us through His Spirit. Yes. I, I I think of, uh. The, the the statement, uh, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, I believe it's after the the, the rich young ruler told to sell, sell everything that he has goes away because he has a lot. Uh, Jesus says right. that only uh, how difficult it is for the rich to enter the, the kingdom of God. Uh, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. The disciples respond, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus' response right. is, what's impossible for man is possible with God. And that's where I would want to go on this of, yeah, on our own, maybe it's impossible, but uh, through looking to God, it is possible. Now, we don't do it perfectly. We still, as sinful human beings in a broken world, look to ourselves all too often. But Jesus' life, if it's presented for us as an image to imitate in Scripture, then it has to be something that it's at least possible for us to imitate. And if Jesus wasn't fully human, if he wasn't a human being, then it's not a possibility, right? Right. But if if Jesus was fully human and lived a fully human life, then it's possible through God to live that fully human life that God desires us for. And so I believe we would all say that Jesus is a model for us to imitate. And if that's true, then he had to be a fully human being. Otherwise, that falls apart too. In other words, if you haven't seen, everything falls apart if Jesus wasn't a a human being because, go back to what we said at the beginning, Christian theology is built upon the incarnation. It's built upon Jesus being fully God, fully human. That's why everything falls apart. If you take out Jesus being fully God, fully human, everything falls apart because that's what it's built upon, which is why the better question is to start there and ask of the significance building from that than trying to get behind it, because that really doesn't work. And is unimportant, because God's already acted. And now we're trying right. to figure out, well, what, what does that mean for us, for our lives, for how we think about God, how we think about Christianity, how we think about the church, salvation, all of those
0: different things. In uh, in summarizing all of this up, uh, when we, we think about what is the significance of Jesus's incarnation, his coming and being fully human and fully God. Uh, at the same time, it is not just related to salvation, and so often we reduce it down just to that point. Uh, he he came, he died on the cross, that uh, saved me from my sins isn't that wonderful. Yes, it is, but it's also not the full picture of what he came to do. Um, this Setting the example for us, well, before that, the, the relationship that we're able to have with him because he's fully human uh, and fully God, that he is our mediator, uh, that he intercedes for us, that he's, he's there on our behalf, he can identify with the things that we are going through presently uh, is a big deal. Uh, that relationship that we share there. And then the other step of that is the image, the example, the uh, what he leaves behind for us to follow after, the, the path that he leads us down. All of that, not just salvation, is significant to his, his incarnation. Uh, and we need to emphasize all of those equally because, yes, we've been saved, but saved to, I guess to go back to a few episodes ago, uh, be transformed is the word well can we can turn incarnation into an idol by just making it about salvation it also
1: i think helps us to expand our definition of salvation because point one had to deal with yes sin particularly but then we moved on yeah there's also uh this this eternal life this the resurrection of our bodies a relationship with with god um is all a part of what scripture means when it talks about salvation. It's not just uh God forgave our sins. Yes, but what 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 does that mean? That there's more there's even more within the term salvation going on that I think you get to see when you begin to look at the significance of the incarnation of Jesus being fully human and fully God.
0: Yep. Yes, yeah. He, he leaves behind us the example to follow to go and be what we ought to be. And so I want to encourage you if you're listening to this, not just, I mean, if you have questions, comments, those sorts of things, please do send those to us. Our email again, uh, strongchurchministries at gmail.com. Uh, but when you, uh, when, when you leave this lesson uh, about why this is significant, uh, don't leave it going. Oh, uh, you know, quite interesting. You know, glad we, <laughs> glad we had this conversation and got to hear and and learn some of these things. That's not what this is all about. It's also about living these things. Once we understand it better, uh, especially in talking about atonement and Jesus's incarnation, uh, our response should be: How does that change me? Uh, how should I live now? Uh, knowing these things uh, and go and, and interact with the world uh, as one of his kingdom people uh, in the place where he has put me. That's all I've got to say, I guess, as a wrap-up. It's important. <laughs> go and go and live it uh, because what he came to do is significant uh, and it should be significant every day and all the time for us. Uh, I'm interested to see where we go next with our our atonement stuff we've got a lot more stuff to talk about a lot of things that are on the table uh, and looking forward to getting into it always enjoy these We're this is episode 23 which is yeah. the the great number if you're a basketball fan we've made it we've arrived we're gonna hang this one up in the rafters uh, hopefully let us know if you like the show uh, and we look forward to putting out more Thanks for listening share this with others I'm Jack that's Spencer I'll see you next time